Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, a, a week where earnings season kind of is better than expected, honestly. We're seeing corporate earnings kind of trickle out, starting with the banks this week, with a lot of, like, positive earnings coming out after last week's big CPI hit. Uh, to sort of get through how volatility is kind of on the way down, especially in the crypto space, especially in, like, the corporate earnings space, as always, to discuss that, I am joined by Justin Kramer. CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good? How do we even begin unpacking this? Like, it's once again just a period of kind of like interesting positivity as we uh, soldier on through this period of downturn. Yeah, uh, another week, uh, you know, another week of craziness. So right now, 2022 is seeming to to shape up to be very different than the last decade. Um, today or this week, rather, there's some there's some optimism that we can just kind of smell in the market. So we'll we'll talk during this episode if we think that will persist or not. Um, but you know things are are hopefully starting to get to a bottom. Um, it's just week in and week out. It's it's tough seeing this over the first ten months of the year. Yeah, but if I could pick which 20s I was going to be in, like 1920s versus these 2020s, definitely would go with the 1920s, I feel like. Like, this is definitely not the Roaring Torn 20s Part 2. This is more... We'd, I, I, I couldn't even begin to describe what's happening in this decade, but a lot going on here. I guess first and foremost, we'll just keep talking about the things that are kind of defying expectations. And that's the news coming out just now that uh, while volatility is finally starting to go down, at the same time, you think inflation means consumer spending is going to go down. But Bank of America just came out and was like, I don't know, guys, consumer spending is up 21% year over year. Like, What's going on here, Justin? Is it just one of those things where Americans have given up on the idea of savings and are just going to spend their way through this no matter what because it's the only thing we can do? How is consumer spending still up during a year of unprecedented inflation yeah it's a good question um i mean right now it, it's there's there's a lag so like everyone's calling for this like recessionary period to start next year um which you know we're definitely forecasting as a chance that breaks in but the economy has been fairly resilient even in the face of in face of inflation even in the face of you know rising rates a lot of things that should slow things down. Unemployment has been low, and the, the economy is still seemingly, you know, decently strong. I mean, GDP isn't growing the, the way it once was, but for for what should be a much weaker economy, it, it's still pretty strong. So when we look at the, the spending numbers, the saving numbers, and spe specifically in the retail banks, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that they're pretty strong. They ended up being a, a little bit better than I think most people anticipate, and that's why corporate earnings. Uh, at least for some of the banks, was pretty positive this week outside of investment banking-related revenue. But for retail-heavy banks like Bank of America, you know, like Wells Fargo, companies like that, um, they've seen consumer balances go up. A lot of people are starting to, you know, put more cash into the bank as we potentially enter into a period of pullback. So, I mean, long story short, it's uh, it's pretty, you know, crazy to see how resilient the the U.S. economy is and how it really is the backbone of the world economy. Um, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to stay that way, but that is that is what we're seeing so far. So there are a lot of mixed signals right now. Um, so I understand how it can be confusing, but overall, the the biggest takeaway is that you know the economy is still pretty strong even in the face of really expensive, <laughs> really expensive stuff. 
it just it it really is wild too. But I guess it's also just like going in lots of different directions as well. If you look at consumer spending, like it's up in a lot of really specific areas across certain quartiles of the actual populace. And then you look at corporate earnings this week. Like overall, we're up. We're up like 300 points on the week. But there have been a lot of losers too. So we're just kind of kind of pick apart the winners and losers and try to understand. That's the game in earnings season, folks. Like most of the trading you do is going to be on you know corporate earnings because it's going to see the biggest swings and volatility. So first and foremost. Most. I guess the biggest news at earnings season so far, Justin, is Netflix kind of coming back a little bit, right? Like they have been, they absolutely popped off 10% on pretty decent earnings. They managed to add a lot of new users and they managed to, you know, set up a lot of good expectations for their ad supported product. Is Netflix back or is this just kind of like a temporary pop off as people like sell high and then uh, they're going to continue their downturn? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because obviously Netflix, the talk of the town for the first half of the year uh, was that they were in a, not a a period to worry about, but just a period of pause growth, which at their scale, like it, it was kind of difficult to grow. They had so many subscribers, such a large user base, and they did never historically had supported ads. They only had like more or less a single way to, to monetize. Um, and they had done such a good job with such a good product that they normalized spending significantly less on their platform than you would spend on an equivalent platform like cable historically. So they kind of, Yes, it helped them grow, but it pigeon-toed themselves now uh, when they got to 2022 and things started to, to get more real, if you will. Um, but to your point, the, the stock has responded well over the last week on news that subscriber growth has grown, um, that the ad-supported platform is starting to show signs of life and will continue to grow. And you know that's really exciting because when you look at Hulu, you look at some of these other platforms, ad-supported uh, revenue is a, a decent contributor to overall top-line growth. Um, so for Netflix to roll this out is big. They've been talking about it getting pushed into gaming. And then the subscriber growth, I think we're, we're going to pause uh, before we, we really can say one way or another. They, their entire subscriber growth at this point is really attributed to shows on platform. The Dahmer Show um, was, was very popular, put on a lot of probably subscribers and was timed very well for when they actually rolled that out relative to earnings. So we will we will see, but ultimately at their scale, similar to like kind of Facebook, it's it's truly hard to continue grow because you you have so much market share already. I mean, it's, it, we see a similar story with Spotify too, with, with how many users they have right now. They have 40% of the US market. Which is, and that's one thing that's really driving a lot of that bear sentiment for Netflix, thinking that Netflix finally achieved full penetration, full saturation in the U.S. market. And a lot of this, they had a 2.4 million users in the last quarter, and a lot of that came from East and Southeast Asia. So it's awesome seeing, this is not all Squid Game from last year, right? But it's really awesome seeing that they're able to find these trends and really exploit them across the world. So there's a lot more that Netflix can be doing, and they're big enough to do it and do it very quickly. So I'm excited to see how they pull things off. I, I really don't see what they're going to be doing with gaming. I don't know a single human person on earth who has actually utilized the various gaming services that you have within both the Netflix app and whatever Netflix is doing. Um, so I'm still curious about how that's all going to work out. Uh, if they're going to, they're talking about starting a full-on gaming studio in Santa Monica, but like, where would those games live? Are they going to be like Google Stadia, i.e. fail completely when they just can't compete with like Microsoft and slash or Sony. So just really interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, but just really excited to see that they're pulling off the things they can do, which is grow in other areas because it's something they can like keep spending more money on content. I think it's really interesting that they've managed to find a way to cheaply produce content. They've become a very, very strong 
um, reality TV rag, right? Buying up old reality TV properties, reinvigorating, like becoming reality TV sensations as well and just maintaining subscriber growth that way. So moving in a lot of different directions at once, but excited to see it. I just, you know, want bigger diversity from their, their cash flow, right? Because that one yeah, product super is, so, is so vulnerable, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like, you, I mean, you brought it up, like they're kind of this you know, one trick pony in the sense that this is their content, they're they're buying up other content, they're going for original content, but now they're making this push into gaming. I mean, Google Stadia failed miserably. Amazon had their own gaming product that most people probably even know about, which is just a testament to how bad that did. Um, so it's not it's not necessarily due to the the technology. It's just real a lot of it's due to the marketing component, which they are claiming they can do significantly better than Google and Amazon, which I wouldn't be surprised from a marketing perspective if they can do better, especially since like Google Stadia is one of a thousand products. It's hard for them to truly, you know, launch that at scale and get true consumer rec recognition, especially since, you know, Google has historically really been a, a B2B platform. Um, but with Netflix, I mean, they made an interesting hire there. To your point, they're opening up a gaming studio in California um, and their hire was the executive producer on uh, a very popular game called Overwatch. So, well, we'll see how it shakes up. I think ultimately consumer demand just hasn't been there. Most people have these expensive consoles that they've spent money on, the true gamers, and a lot of the casual gamers are probably playing more of these cloud-based services. So it'll be really interesting to see if they can reverse a narrative that ultimately would be a massive, massive opportunity if they could do it. But I think that if they can do it is, is the biggest question mark right now because there there's, hasn't been any history of success there. They would be ultimately kind of creating a new market per se. And that it makes a lot of sense too, considering there's definitely an opportunity in gaming right now. Like all of the, the old school, like juggernaut winners of the past, what is it, decade or so, have been uh, Microsoft and Sony, and both of them are facing kind of crises of profitability on the AAA gaming side. Like the Microsoft has had trouble with Halo Infinite for the past year and a half, just trying to uh, make it a live service model game that people actually want to play. And the there's been a lot of backlash from the community over that because of just how difficult it is to adopt a live service model in the same time. Call of Duty just launched, I think. If, I, if I'm watching my memes right, I think it launched this week. Don't call me on that. And again, the live service model for them isn't working out so well, specifically because you need a huge amount of very expensive and hard to fine tune content. But in order to do that profitably, you cannot you know, hire too many developers. So there's an interesting rock and a hard place area for like the triple gay a gaming scene that netflix if they do open a full-on studio in santa monica could potentially jump on somebody's going to spend a lot of money to sort of try to unseat microsoft and sony and slash or nintendo and it's going to be very interesting to see if you can muscle into that space but i mean again to your point justin uh prime gaming amazon's gaming service all of that stuff they had they had that and they owned twitch like the place where gamers go right I think. <laughs> yeah exactly and, like you just can't do it so it's just the it's the hardest space to break into nobody understands I mean, I don't understand gamers, no offense, of course, but like, I don't know how to market to those people. Nobody does. And it's just one of those things where uh, it just takes an insane amount of effort to get the attention and to actually grow here. So props to Netflix, they pulled off, but I'm not super sure. Market seems to be buying it, though, like the sub 20 percent. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah. At the end of this week. Uh, and speaking of 20% uh, moves, down 30% today is Snap, Justin, the kind of big loser of the back half of earnings season this week. Um, earnings just aren't there. 
Net Snap is down 90% year over year. October 2021, they're at $52 a share. Now they're barely pushing seven. And me thinking I'm super smart buying at nine, right? Um, already getting hit, flamed at Discord, just saying, no, it's going to, I know it's going to come back. I'm going to be buying uh, Snap at nine and now it's pushing 750. What on earth is happening to social media, Justin? Like, you'd think Snap would be able to, like, take advantage of Facebook's weaker position and do something, but it's just not there. Like, is it just because advertising's not super huge given where we are in sort of the the bull and bear cycle or how in the world is social media playing out right now because i am clueless at this point i have no idea what's <laughs> happening in the social media space yeah i mean unless you're working at tiktok right now um social media companies are getting slaughtered if uh, if you haven't paid attention i mean it's it's kind of hard to miss at this point but facebook it's just i mean it's bad news after bad news there they want they rolled out this like the quest, the new quest, I mean, we'll see how adoption is, but it's pretty expensive. So I don't anticipate like getting full saturation pretty quickly, but yeah, Facebook is a disaster. Twitter is a disaster where they want to lay off 75% of their employees. If Elon comes in, which is a whole conversation in itself that we can talk about in a bit. Um, and then Snapchat, yeah, down 30% today on a revenue miss. So it's, it's tough because a lot of people are using Snapchat. They actually have some pretty good technology. They have a really good cohort of users, but they're kind of got hit with this double whammy over the last year or so um, of advertising revenue and just like the effectiveness of their ads due to, due to Apple. So Apple came in about two years ago um, and really changed how people are allowed or companies rather can advertise on their platform. So what they did was basically block the ability to really kind of track a lot of people across the internet, um, especially like on Apple devices. And that's kind of just the push of the whole industry. But because you can't track people now across their devices on their phone, if you want to advertise on Facebook, on Snapchat, on one of these platforms that are some of the biggest like advertising platforms in the world, the ability to do so, like it just, it wasn't what it was. If you can't see that someone if nike can't see that someone's searching for shoes on one website they're looking for sh at shoes on their social media page and, and like historically they could see that they could serve you an ad you buy nike shoes it's easy for them but today when they can't see that information it's hard to know who to go after and then it's hard to get attribution on those users get smarter and so the algorithms just they don't have as much data they're not as smart as they were because apple really handicapped their ability to do so which is really hurting companies like facebook like snapchat you pair that with now an economic pullback, companies are being much more uh, protective of capital or trying to be much more smarter where do they deploy their advertising dollars because we could be entering a recessionary period. And those two factors are just decimating Snapchat. So people more or less are just spending less in general, and then they're spending less specifically on these platforms because they weren't as good as they once were. You couldn't you used to be able to spend, you know, a hundred bucks and get a few users maybe today it's you spend a hundred bucks maybe you get one user so it's just it's not what it was and they haven't been able to really truly have an answer yet to how they they get around a lot of apple's data privacy uh rules and i mean ultimately there there's no answer to get around a recession until it's over and that makes a lot of sense too and it's just one of those things where it's just going to be in a very difficult place until we figure out new technology that makes social media make sense right because well, as Apple builds its own advertising product and potentially ties it into something on social media, right? Like the, it wasn't, you know, them, you know, 
providing good service for their for their users. It was them kind of kneecapping rivals and making sure that you know they're not giving away sort of free services to uh, companies who utilize iOS, um, like this gigantic customer base that they built themselves through their awesome brand, right? Like Apple's going to be taking that value home pretty soon. So it makes you wonder if Apple's going to make a play into social media or some kind of other ad services model, right? Um, yeah, it's I mean, those- super interesting because you think about like, it's a really fundamental shift in the way companies are operating. Like Facebook came around and the entire business model for years was, we're going to give you all these products and services for free. And you know that you're going to get served ads, but that's how it's ultimately subsidized. You get served ads, but you don't have to pay for it. And that's how companies have built over the last 10, 20, 30 years. But with Apple coming in, a lot of these data privacy laws coming in and saying, whoa, like let's pump the brakes here. This isn't going to be as free reign as it used to. We, you can't just share data um, and, and ultimately allow these companies to monetize their users, it's going to either do one of two things. A, fundamentally change the way companies run. That's why you're seeing Twitter. You're seeing other companies try to roll subscription products. And then if that doesn't work, I mean, the other answer is that this probably is a hard tr- pill for a lot of people to swallow, but that growth is just going to slow down and innovation is going to slow down because if you're relying either on lower growth margins or profit margins or revenue growth, um, to ultimately get the users you need, companies are going to have to really scale back how much they spend and then how much they can innovate. Um, so the the laws are coming from good places, and you know whether or not Apple monetizes themselves is is a separate conversation. But ultimately, if, if companies aren't monetizing their users via their data and their ads, they need to find another way to make money, or they're they're really going to have to change uh, their business model, or or, you're, or as investors, you're going to have to expect slower growth significantly. Can you imagine like taking a job like as a product person or just like doing some high paid stuff at Facebook in 2019 and then just watching over the last three years as you get hit by the astonishing double whammy of being knifed by Tim Cook and finding a social media model that completely takes over the entire Internet that you simply cannot copy like Instagram Reels is just not happening. YouTube Shorts is just not happening. TikTok has completely changed the way we uh, consume content and nobody can copy it. Like imagine those three years and also there's a global pandemic in the middle of all that, but whatever. Um, Yeah, it's not. I mean, like TikTok is is so unique. A, I mean, it's like extremely addictive, but like there's no real dividing line between China and TikTok. So if China is really in this for the data game, to collect all this data and information, TikTok's profitability doesn't like matter as much as like Facebook and all these American-based companies where there's clear dividing lines between where the company ends and the government starts. Um, so they're just incentivized by two way different things. They can play a different game and TikTok is like, hey, we're just going to go after what is the most addicting platform <laughs> bar none. And they've done a really good job of doing so, so far. Which makes, which brings up really just wishing that that sale had gone through in 2020 when the Trump organization tried to basically force Oracle to buy TikTok's American sort of side like they can't they won't be in control of the algorithm right but at least have some insight into the kind of money that TikTok is actually making because not only um are we in a situation where we all of all of our social media companies are just crooked getting crushed under the weight of TikTok, we have no idea what TikTok's actual valuation is, in addition to the concerns about the Chinese government, right? Like the most addictive platform on earth, kind of being, you know, air quotes, in control by the Chinese government, right? So it makes you wonder, like, what they can do with that kind of power. But it's also, what is the value of social media right now? Is it all, is social media just all TikTok? Or are we kind of overplaying, like, the amount of 
that TikTok is winning the attention economy. We've gotten pretty far afield here, though, Justin, and I want to make sure we cover like some actual news as well. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> totally. you you mentioned it too. Like Elon Musk came out today and basically said, "Hey, um, when I close this deal," and he's basically just signaling that this deal is on wheels at this point. Like Twitter this morning also basically froze the stock accounts of every employee. Like you cannot trade Twitter stock if you work at Twitter right now, which is, you know, the biggest sort of like non-announcement indicator that this deal is basically over. The stock price is hovering, you know, at, uh, what is it? $52, not 54.20. So this market is like, hey man, this is happening. It's definitely going to happen. Um, but rumors are now saying it's going to happen this week, but then, you know, Elon's going to go and just nuke 75% of the company. Uh, can you believe this is actually finally over, Justin? Like, what do we even do once Twitter is an Elon Musk property? Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. The fact that he's getting rid of so many people and a lot of people on content moderation shows you the the type of platform he is trying to make this be. It, it, it's really hard to see how like customers will react. A lot of people are very upset, especially people who are more liberal uh, about allowing Trump and all these other people back on the platform who are, you know, spreading information, whether it's misinformation or whatever it is in a way that they don't see fit. So, I mean, we'll see either Twitter is going to lose a lot of users or it's going to gain a lot more like loyal or have a more like dedicated loyal cohort of users. Um, and there might be a lot of issues then that Elon is going to have to start, you know, addressing. It's nice from the outside that he has all these ideals and what he wants to do, but if he's getting rid of 75% of the workforce, um, there's going to be a lot of product issues that are completely negated. So, I mean, history, history shows us Elon has a, you know, a pretty good operating history, but this is, this is a, a different beast for him, something that he didn't build from the ground up. So very curious to see how this one shakes out. Um, if you're betting on the acquisition to go through, I think there's a really good chance. So from that merger or investment, not a bad one, but long-term outlook to to try to be investor, we're we're definitely uh, staying far away right now. And yeah, furthermore, like don't bet on it too hard because right now the stock price is within what like two percent of the actual yeah, like, it's a small strike jump. price. So it's like, wow, you made a big bet there, buddy, and you made a whole dollar and a half congratulations like it's one of those things where I, I totally get like you know it feels pretty likely right now but the time to buy twitter stock was when this first sort of kind of started shaking out when twitter was in the totally. teens briefly so really interesting thing but i guess the main question then is justin i think this is like this will be interesting to see how it moves forward for twitter but this kind of feels like the only thing it could be is a value destruction event for tesla right because where else is elon going to get like the 13 14 extra billion dollars he needs like is he going to get it all from sbf or is it going to be where um he has to sell so much he has a very limited window where he sells a bunch of tesla stock but completely nuking the value of the company right yeah it's a good point because not only he would he potentially have to just liquidate more tesla stock which obviously is just not good uh for investors but I mean, even if he spends one day a week at Twitter, that's a whole day that he is not now dedicating to Tesla and their roadmap. And he has to do SpaceX and he has to do all the other things he's working on. I mean, it gets to the point where one man can only do so much. I think for him, it'll be interesting to see who he plays in senior positions. He's shown that he's really good at recruiting and getting the right people in there to help run the company while he tangentially touches the stuff he wants to touch on. But at least in the short term, this is going and it has been a distraction for him. Um, outside of any stock implications for just his general kind of timeline and agenda for Tesla, for these other companies that he that he's much more heavily invested in. So, yeah, I mean, as a Tesla investor, I, I'm definitely cautious. Do I think it's going to fundamentally alter the trajectory of the company? No. Um, but in the short term, it's definitely going to cause some potential headaches. Um, they might miss revenue expectations, shipping expectations, 
Um, but if this is just more or less a short-term headwind, uh, I don't think it'll you know affect any of their innovation and trajectory of the company. They're they're just so far ahead of of really anyone else right now. It's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, with the margins that Tesla has, they don't necessarily need liquidity that comes from like a high stock price. And frankly, bringing it back down to earth a little bit is super helpful for me. the The main thing I think this could do, the thing that as a degenerate tech investor, the thing I'm most excited for is I kind of do hope this causes a bit of liquidity crisis personally for Elon. So it pushes him to do maybe a little sooner than he should. Uh, make Starlink a public IPO Starlink. That's the only company I want to invest in for the next like decade. Like I just want to put all of my <laughs> money into satellite internet because it's over. Like it, it's good enough for the entire planet, right? Whereas you know the like you're, you're literally watching uh, internet cables in Norway get cut mysteriously, right? So um, Starlink is a huge part of the future of the infrastructure that you know makes the internet and. Uh, thinking that that can be public sooner than later because my man just needs to make money now. Um, I'm really excited for that, frankly. That's going to be pretty yeah, gigantic. I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah, I know like the, he, he's like was talking about cutting service in the Ukraine and start making more pro-China comments. So we'll, we'll see if there's, you know, underlying reasons he's doing this to get like more manufacturing for Tesla in China. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that he does, and then you find out months later that there's some sort of internal motivation or he was a few steps ahead of everyone else. So I think the Starlink stuff is super interesting. Um, it definitely is a massive, massive opportunity. And I mean, SpaceX in general is just such a massive opportunity that aren't on most investors' radar since it's a private company. But you better believe that that company is going to absolutely skyrocket once it IPOs. I mean, obviously right now is not the, the best timing, but as early as you know, at some point in 2023, that could that could easily happen. Um, there, the amount of money they've already raised is insane. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where it is kind of the 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 Ukraine stuff is kind of strange. Like the Pentagon has been paying for Starlink in the Ukraine for a long time, and like there's been a lot of like really cool on the ground crowdfunding efforts to buy more Starlink terminals with it for the Ukrainian army. I mean, for the Russian army too. No one talks about that part, but it's kind of those terminals are all over Eastern Ukraine right now. Um, so it's very interesting to see like why Elon is also texting about like, oh, let's have peace in the Ukraine, please. And like reports that he like, you know, is talking to Putin all the time and whatever. But we don't need to get into that kind of weird speculative stuff because the main thing is, is that people are paying for the service. And it's one of those things where if it's ubiquitous worldwide, even though the service is kind of, you know, a little bit ganky right now and the terminals are a little bit weird, like it's still better than what the entire planet has for Internet. Right. And that's why it's got such a huge potential as a growth thing. So, again, that's why I'm excited to invest in it. But again, that's the main thing we have to think about right now. We have to think about these long term plays because we're going to be in this while volatility decreases, we're going to be in this bear cycle for a bit, like whether or not they declare it to be a full on recession, like, you know, closer to the beginning of 2023 or whatever remains to be seen. But it's really interesting to watch all these reactions. I love how we talk about so much. We don't even cover like the major news, like uh, the UK PM Liz Truss resigning after like, oh, yeah, the no, whole market's like, you know, <laughs> we we're definitely talking about that. Yeah, I wish we, we had we time. We can talk about yeah. that quickly. Yeah. Oh, we could. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Justin, um, so Reaganomics, uh, we, we're trying to bring a, the 80s back fully. Liz trusted full supply side economics, um, killing the pound briefly. Uh, we had a brief period in time where the UK was run by two people named Liz, then one. Now it's back down to zero. The main question, though, Justin, is like, what does this mean moving forward for the UK? Like, uh, do we is it like how do you even play in a situation where they have been backed into such a fiscal corner with Brexit, with everything else that like zero, like they're stuck with a conservative government for at least the next two years, but no conservative policies are being swallowed by the market. Well, is, it, is the conservative party going to go kind of full like liberalized economic structure or how do we even like react to supply side economics just getting completely booted in the UK? 
Yeah. So the, the one thing I just want to clear up for some investors or just people in general who are worried, this is not the equivalent of Biden coming in or Trump or anyone coming in in six weeks and then we're coming in and then six weeks later leaving. Same thing with Boris Johnson. The UK operates a little bit differently. So while, yes, this is a massive deal, it's not what, what the extent of the president here resigning, which would cause, from my perspective, just utter chaos. Um, in the, the UK, a party wins, and then that party then elects um, a leader. And so the Conservative Party, to Peter's point, is still in power. Um, they're going to have to find somebody new, which is a you know a disaster within itself. Um, but there isn't a fundamental shift in you know, more or less who's who's help, helping run the country over there. Um, the Liz Trust stuff is, I mean, it's like almost, it's so horrific that it's just borderline hilarious because of like how much of a disaster it was. But basically she proposed um, a bunch of plans for the economy and the markets went into an absolute shock when she did it just, you know, several weeks ago. The pound fell to multi-year lows um, and people started calling for her, her resignation pretty quick. I mean, it, it's crazy that this plan that she wanted to put into place got such negative feedback to the point where she was literally forced to resign. It's it's pretty mind blowing. Um, it's hard to say what's going to happen next, but obviously the plan she wanted to put into place is, is not happening even close, which is just uh, just shows you where the conservative party is is uh, is at right now in the UK. And look, it, it's it's not just, you know, the, this historic resignation. We also have to keep in mind that we are at parity, the U.S. dollar is at parity with the, the pound for the first time in decades. And furthermore, it's in the same year where the men's U.S. national team actually has a fairly solid opportunity to defeat England in the World Cup, which therefore means we're just going to call it soccer from now on, right? Like football's <laughs> over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, um, if, the, if the U.S. is is stronger, both on the, the the front of the currency as well as ultimately the the soccer team. Yeah, I mean, I think we uh, we have the power to do that now. But to just like uh, try to put a bow on this real fast, this is me kind of preluding like what we might be talking about next week, Justin. This is kind of a question that keeps coming in from the Discord. Like a lot of the trouble in the UK, of course, it's coming from the Russia side of the equation with energy prices skyrocketing out of control. But it's also coming from, like we've been saying, the US dollar getting insanely, insanely strong. So many countries rely on the petrodollar to, you can only, you know, pay for certain assets with US dollars and international debt is in US dollars. And when you're, when the dollar is stronger, like out of control strong compared to every other currency. Uh, again, this is I'm asking for a bow on this, not a full-on discussion, but a lot of people are kind of becoming concerned. Is there going to be more pressure to find a different reserve currency if, you know, the US dollar remains as strong, or is this kind of a temporary blip in the macro environment? I mean, that's what, like, people have been calling for, like, I mean, crypto since day one is, like, this alternative currency, some sort of reserve currency when the world, you know, goes more or less goes to shit. What we've seen is that's definitely not the case. The Bitcoin and the rest of the crypto market has gone up and down and up and down and actually finally got to the point where it's now been less volatile than the market, shockingly. First time since 2020. But I mean, that was the overall premise of crypto, which has just proven to be completely wrong, at least for the time being, given it is a very, very you know young and immature market. But yeah, I mean, to your point, not to get too into, too into the weeds, but it'll be interesting to see what happens next because the US has just been this currency where everyone has flocked to safety, but that's not really sustainable over the over the long run, especially if the US, you know, loses its power to, to other countries as countries often do. So 
I mean, we'll see how this one shakes out. Definitely uh, a little troublesome um, to see how much it's, it's appreciated this year relative to other countries. And it's one of those things, too, where it's interesting to sort of watch as well and see how it plays out. But it's one of those things, too, where you're watching a lot of different trends kind of diverge too, right? Like finally, crypto is back to being a little bit antithetical to macro trends in the macro stock market. Uh, about a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin left exchanges in the past week. And now Bitcoin's volatility is finally way, way separate from like the NASDAQ and the Dow. So their price is not ch- like Bitcoin is holding steady at 19K, not changing a lot. People aren't really trading as heavily and is with as much liquidity on Bitcoin anymore. So it's going to be interesting to watch to see how well that plays out too. Again, a lot of interesting directions we can go, but of course the main thing we're going to be watching is next week, which is going to be the big four doing their earnings calls. Uh, we're talking Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, all of these sort of like big tech giants. We had a really interesting earnings season this week where the banks kind of lifted the economy back up from the doldrums, but not enough to make us think that we're out of the, we're in the clear here. There's more rumors that the Fed is going to potentially soften their interest rate hikes. That'd be very interesting to see. But again, main thing we'll be talking about next week is how uh, earnings season, the actual part of earnings season went. So as always, audience, really appreciate you being here with us. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Thanks for just staying way over time on this, dude. Um, any final thoughts from you before we go ahead and put a bow on this? Again, I really appreciate your perspective today. No, I think this is uh, this is good. There's obviously a lot more I would love to talk about, but I think next week, the week after, when we start getting more into what the Fed will do at their next next rate hike, which I guess I'll leave everyone here with this thought, um, is we'll see if things start slowing down. That's why the market, in large part, has been rallying this week. Um, obviously, corporate earnings came out. The news have been relatively good for the most part, depending on the industry you're looking at. But a lot of people are just calling on the Fed, calling on the Fed to start slowing down things. And people are getting hopeful that they're being potentially relatively receptive. And that's in, in large part why we've seen this rally this week. We'll see what happens when they when they announce their next, you know, um, their next kind of round of, of rate hikes. If they're ultimately constructive, listen to people or if they're going to continue pushing it further. Um, so next week we'll get, you know, PCE, core PCE coming out. Um, and we'll get consumer sentiment. We'll get a bunch of other uh, consumer confidence, new home sales. We'll get a bunch of things next week that'll probably really, really help shape the Fed's decision. So again, as always, do not fight the Fed in 2022. That is the number one thing to be looking at when they decide to start slowing down that interest rate policy increases. Um, so we'll keep you posted. We'll, we'll be back next week. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a, a lot of updates to chat on then. Final huge degenerate question, Justin. If you wanted to be a DGen and bet on it, do you think there's any 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 chance the Fed goes 50 basis points as opposed to 75 with their next rate hike? <laughs> I think by the end of the year. So I think is there what there's one or two more uh, potential two, I think. opportunities. You, you got you got the November two. and the December, yeah. Yeah. So I think depending on how corporate earnings go and ultimately how inflation goes going into the end of the year, I think there's there's definitely a chance they go 50. I don't think it'll happen um, this month, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen before the end of the year, if not early next year. This 75 basis point raise cycle is just, I know they want to slow down inflation, but it's just not sustainable. Like mortgage, mortgage, the 30-year mortgage rate right now is like around 7%. New home sales are, are down at 10-year lows. I mean, the economy's been strong, but like it's it's on the edge of a cliff, just waiting to fall off. And I think what the Fed needs to ultimately balance is: do they want inflation to come back down and for pe- things to get, you know, marginally more expensive, but for people to have jobs, or do they want to solve inflation but everyone 
not everyone, but a lot of people lose their jobs, which ultimately probably puts us into more of a, hurt, a hurting period, at least in the short term, uh, for the economy. So there's no good answer, but uh, you know, where a lot of investors are hopeful that they'll do the right things from the from the market's perspective. Exactly, and I think that's really starting to emerge because I think you're also seeing the Fed really start talking about how they recognize that they can raise rates all they want, but they can't change energy prices, and that's the main thing that's been driving the bus in regards to inflation too. So it's just like keep it under control as best you can, balance it with not completely careening the economy off a cliff. But again, we're yeah, staying- it's really tough. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough because like. The U.S. just, I mean, Biden just released more oil from our own reserves Let's in order go. to help add inflation. I mean, ultimately, that's coming up very good timing because midterms are coming up and they obviously want to help out the Democratic cause. But there's only so much they can do with the energy prices, especially with the way OPEC and Russia are behaving. Unless we want to get into a full out you know, war on top of the war that's already going on. It's, uh, it's, it's a tough situation. Yeah, right one, now. one day we will have the time, patience, and um, measured ability to talk about what in the hell is going on with the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia, because that's a whole other can of worms. As that uh, air, uh, deteriorates, question mark, really interesting to see as we try to apply pressure to stop OPEC from uh, cutting more supply. But again, we'll find out together. Either way, audience, lots going on. Really, really love all of you being here till the end of it. If you have any questions, you can always hit us up at hellomobi.co or join us live on on our discord as we do these conversations we really appreciate you being here with us though audience but for now i'm just going to go ahead and read the credits so just so you know this podcast is produced hosted and voiced by me peter star all of the intellectual value that comes from this podcast comes from our analyst team which is headed up by justin kramer our ceo co-founder and chief analyst again any other questions hit us up at hellomobi.co jesus you can also find us over at instagram tiktok or anywhere else if you you know want to get inside more detailed versions of our research hit find us over at mobi.co slash go to see if you can get a free trial if you're not already a member of Moby.co. Regardless, audience, we really appreciate you being here. And as always, we can leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.